a gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources with Boyd Matheson. Both political parties, Republican and Democrat, are tending more and more towards the extreme. Extreme is going to be the word uh, of the next 50 days as we march towards November elections. The interesting thing is that by moving farther to the left and farther to the right, are they actually moving closer together? Have they found something in common uh, that is probably no better than uh, what they're leaning towards? But it's sort of this big war of me versus you and contempt, uh, all of those things. And what is it that we learn from that? What do we need to do differently about that? Because uh, a fabulous piece in uh, at Reason.com from Stephanie Slade today, uh, who is the senior editor, talking about how both the left and the right are actually converging on an interesting thing. Uh, Stephanie, thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks so much for having me on. Uh, so you say that we are at sort of having this wraparound issue, as I like to call them, where uh, you go so far left and you go so far right, you end up uh, with a little bit of interesting overlap. But you say that converging is uh, not in a good space. It's on authoritarianism. That's right. I think almost everybody recognizes that something has gone wrong. Something is broken in our politics. But so often when people talk about what has gone wrong, they use the word polarization, which implies that the two sides are getting further and further apart. And in some in some ways, I think that's true. But in other ways, I think they're starting to resemble each other more and more, uh, both in, in, in some sense, uh, in, on some issues, on the substance of the issues, like when you have uh, Tucker Carlson on the right praising an economic policy from Elizabeth Warren on the left. They, they started to sound a lot like each other um, in terms of the, the economic policies that they're supporting, but also in terms of like the rhetoric and just the, gen, the general rejection of the idea that we should be willing to live and let live and coexist and share society with people, even if those people don't share our values and aren't going to use their freedom to do things that we might like them to do. So this, this idea that instead of coexisting and respecting their freedom, even though they, you know, we don't like what they're going to do with it, instead we should use state power to try to destroy them and, and, and coerce them and force them to live the way we think is right. That's happening, I think, at both ends of the spectrum. So in that sense, I think there is a real convergence happening on left and right on this authoritarian, illiberal, um, you know, embrace of government coercion. Yeah. One of the things I always tell uh, anyone in any political uh, party, any political campaign, you know, be careful that you do not become the thing you're fighting against. Uh, and it's sort of this case where it's the, you know, here's the the new boss, same as the old boss. And and I sort of had that feeling in the in the president's address from Philadelphia uh, with the, both the backdrop and the style and the the language and the, the anger and the hate and the frustration. Uh, it was almost it was a very Trumpian sort of speech from President Biden. I'm like, oh, my goodness, he's he's becoming uh, the thing that he said he was against. Uh, and I think in, in, so, in so much of our politics, and you point this out uh, really powerfully in your piece, just looking at where 
kind of the the masses, not the mushy middle. Uh, I think you referred to them as as people who are just really frustrated, but have moved to the sideline. That's right. That's right. I mean, there is some sense in which polarization is real. There are more people who are identifying as conservative and uh, more people who are identifying as liberal and therefore fewer people who are identifying as moderate. But there's still a lot of people in the middle. And when you talk to them, you find that they are just disgusted with our politics. They don't really feel like they have a home on either side. And ultimately, at the end of the day, I think part of what's going on is that these people as Americans, they, 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 they really believe in the sort of deeply rooted DNA of America is a country where we respect each other's freedom. And so when the two parties, the two, the two camps, the two movements are moving away from this idea of respecting, you know, the other side's freedom, um, then it leaves a lot of people, a lot of regular Americans who are saying, like, something just feels very wrong and very broken here when, when neither, neither side is willing to represent me and my, in terms of my um, love of and commitment to and, like, genuine belief in individual liberty. Yeah, and I, and I think that whole uh, weaponization of, of words and, uh, and just pushing further and further out there uh, is something that we all have to watch for because I, I do think that contempt is uh, is a big part of the problem where uh, because you disagree, you are worthless uh, as an individual. Therefore, I can do whatever I want. I can melt down your social media feed or I can say horrible things about you and I can you know still feel good about myself and go to church on Sunday and, and feel like a good person. Uh, there's a lot of justification in that uh, and in that kind of authoritarian attitude uh, that doesn't just go to the, the leaders at the top, but actually extends to everybody in between. That's right. And, you know, I like to I want to emphasize that I think people on both sides um, who are engaging in this rhetoric, it's not that they, they are completely imagining the, the grievances they have with the other side. There really are things happening on both sides that causes people to say like, hey, our rights are being violated or they're not playing by the rules and the norms and the sort of civil discourse that we once thought that, um, you know, was going to be the the foundation of our politics. So both sides have legitimate grievances. I really I think that's true. And it's important to acknowledge um, that they that they have those grievances and that they're not completely imagining them. But what happens is on both sides, you have these elites, these these leaders who take a legitimate grievance and they blow it all out of proportion and they use it to justify and to rationalize acting on their desire to seize power and to use that power to try to destroy their enemies, their political, their political opponents. And that's where we get really dangerous. Yeah, I I think that's so important. And I'm I'm glad you used the word grievance because I think that's such an interesting thing because I agree. I think people do have genuine things they can be grieved about or feeling like their rights are being infringed. Uh, And yet I think the one thing that is uniquely American is that we aren't a grievance society. I mean, we we yell, we scream, we protest, we do those things. But then normally we move on. Uh, We keep going forward. And when you hunker down in that grievance and recreating that negative base emotion – Every day, uh, it leads to you. You talked about the elites capitalizing on that, and there's a there's a whole industrial complex uh, that makes a lot of money off of off of those very base feelings of anger, fear, frustration, and grievance. Yes, and I think what we've seen throughout history is that people are more likely to be willing to sacrifice. Um, sort of rights and liberties if they feel like they're facing an existential threat. And so it, it behooves the, the people who are out for power for themselves to make it seem like every election is an existential election. Every political debate is one in which your your very survival is on the line. And I, I think it's really important that we, that we, without downplaying the real challenges and the real dangers out there, that we, we sort of take a, uh, take a step back and keep things in perspective a little bit and recognize that 
ultimately, the vast majority of Americans still do believe in individual liberty. When you pull them, the most regular people say we have more in common than we have to disagree about. We can get along even if we don't share every single, we don't agree on every single issue. Um, and so, like most people, even if they disagree with you on, on their, in terms of their politics, they're not your enemy and they're not out to destroy you. And so you should probably be very skeptical when somebody says that, you know, tells you that you should be treating them like an enemy and therefore uh, investing uh, one side of the other in in the power to, to go after them as if they were an enemy. Uh, that is, uh, I'm going to leave it right there. That is uh, very well said. And that's something we all should think again about today in terms of how we view those that we may disagree with. We can have a different kind of conversation if we're willing to lean into that and not just buy in uh, to a lot of that polarization uh, and a lot of that authoritarian rhetoric uh, that puts us in that space. Stephanie Slade, senior editor at Reason. The piece is on Reason.com. It is a great piece. It'll get you thinking today. Stephanie, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Uh, again, it's a great piece. Uh, you want to check that out today at Reason.com. And it is these wraparound things are so fascinating to me where uh, the further people go to the left and the further some go to the right, they actually wrap around and they start looking and acting the same. And as Stephanie pointed out, when you hear that kind of rhetoric, that should send your spidey sense into overdrive. Red flags, bells, whistles, sirens should all be sounding in your head uh, that this is either not real, this is overblown, this is distracting from the real issue, the real debate, the real principle, or the real policy. And and that's up to us, gang. That's a we the people issue. If we continue to respond to those negative base emo- emotions, those seeking for power are going to continue to uh, prey on those. All right, we'll step aside for bottom of the hour news. Much more to come on Inside Sources. Former Senator Heidi Heitkamp from North Carolina, or from, excuse me, from North Dakota joins us coming up next. Stick around. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.